You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky films and why we frickin' love them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This episode is the weirdest and wonderfulest movies of the last 10 years. Um, It's an episode that's a little different to our normal ones. Um, Instead of our usual focus on one or perhaps two films, um, this is a focus on uh, several of our favourite films uh, of the last 10 years that were not just wonderful and favourite, but we also think are very, very weird. And we decided to do this because, obviously, um, the focus of an awful lot of our podcast has been films from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and we didn't want to sort of assume, you know, people to assume, ah, this is a vintage movie, you know, podcast. Um, we both keep up with modern cinema. Uh, Lindsay is an avid cinema goer. I'm an avid streamer. Uh, we've watched a lot of films from uh, recently, which we think would be pretty great for this podcast. But rather than wait and do them all individually, we thought we'd have a bit of a sum up where we could recommend some films that we both love and uh, talk to each other about films that the other might not have seen. So um, that's what's happening. Uh, Lindsay, how are we going to do it? OK, I just wanted, before we go into how we're going to do it, I just wanted to add a bit about why I, I think, for me, I wanted to do it. Mm. Uh, you're right, you know, I am, I, I'm obsessed with old films and mm. you mentioned 70s and 80s. Uh, for me, I'm the 30s and 40s generally. And I, I love old Hollywood and a pal of mine sent me a list that I had uh, made for um, when I first started being on Facebook, which is, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago. And the most recent film I had in there, and there was only one that was kind of beyond 1950, and that was Chinatown, which was 1973. <laughs> and I looked at that list and thought, yeah, mm. that sounds about right. That yeah. Those would probably still be my 15 favourite films today. Yeah. So, um, you're right. I I do see a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of old films, but I do see a lot of new ones as well. And I think so far as well, we've talked about films that are shared passions for yeah. us, ones yeah. that we both absolutely yes. love. And you know, rest assured, there are hundreds more of those. If you're keen to hear that, there are there are a lot of things that we have in common. But we like different things too. And t- absolutely, uh, today I thought, yeah, good point, would be a, a chance for that. Um, and actually, when I put my list together, I realised only one of my lists my short list uh, was an american film so yeah, uh, yeah actually it's a chance for us to look at that as well yeah so yeah. how we're going to do it is that we are each choosing six we initially originally we we're going to choose five <laughs> and then i put my foot down i couldn't shortlist a five I had someone to have said it had to be six so i've got six <laughs> as well and we're going to talk about our top six in ascending order so starting with number six moving up to number one we're going to have some honorable mentions before we get to number one and our rule for today is no spoilers. So um, mm, we're just going to have very, very brief intros to what the films are. Um, there might be a bit of discussion, but it might be just one of us going, I like it and here's why and you should see it. <laughs> so Gary, without further ado, what's your number six? Yeah, don't mind if I do. Um, my number six is The Witch, a New England folktale directed by Robert Eggers, starring Anna Taylor-Joy, Ralph Innocent, and Kate Dickey. And uh, distributed by A24. 
And um, if you don't know what A24 is, uh, that's going to come up a bit in this program. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're going to explain at some point. Um, and uh, this is a film you've seen, Lindsay, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, I uh, absolutely loved it, actually. It was my first uh, exposure to Anya Taylor-Joy and I was kind of um, overjoyed by <laughs> how she tailored her Anyas to this role. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if, if you haven't seen it, it's... Uh, a film set in the 17th century and it follows an English Puritan family who have emigrated to America and uh, uh, when banished from their religious community for being too religious, uh, they're beset by poverty, grief, isolation. Uh, and they find themselves infected also by witchcraft. Or is it just religious hysteria? Only Black Philip the Goat knows for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten about Black Philip. It's been a while since I've seen that um I've seen that film but uh yeah I really loved it and it is good and weird. And yeah, I like it. I, I, and I really one of the uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's fab. I really love um Ralph Innocent in it because he he is uh, Ralph Innocent is one of those guys I've I've watched him in TV shows in Britain. For years, and he, he's never a main character. He's usually playing a villain or a dodgy geezer, um, or in a soap opera, he's he's somebody's angry brother or something. He's just one of those faces. He's always solid, uh, nerd, playing someone working class and and whatever. And I, I just sort of love the fact that he's the lead uh, male in a film that cost had a four million dollar budget and ended up taking forty million dollars and uh, you know an american film directed by and written and directed by american robert eggers um and i just love the fact that he and he smashes it out of the park he's great in that film i didn't realize it's robert eggers so the guy who did the lighthouse yeah. i didn't realize it was the same guy yeah i'm kind of worried wondering what they spent four million on <laughs> well oh God, i guess the is, sets or this is it though isn't it you know i I'm, I mean, yeah, discuss. I'm always sort of stunned by the budgets of films. It, you know, it's a film like The Blair Witch Project, you know, a legendary film. You know, it costs, you know, the fact that it costs $140,000, mm -hmm. I think it was, that's, that never happens. Um, films cost a couple of million at the least. Mm. It, it's the amount of people that you have to hire if you look at a credits list, even of a, a low budget film, there's there's fifty to a hundred people on mm. it. Everything yes, you know, every everything true. that you're seeing on screen has uh, involves another employee. Yeah. Um, you know, the set design, the costume design, the you know, the hairstylist, the assistant to the blah blah to the blah, the, the key grip, and I've never even mm. really known what that is. Um, you know, the, the the there's more than one photographer, you yeah. know, camera cinematographer. There's a bunch of them, and if your film has any CGI in it, it's going to need a yeah. You know, Another thousand like, people from yeah. in Korea or somewhere yeah. in Korea. So it all adds up to a lot of money. And uh, um, so it's really interesting. I, I would, you know, I was hoping you'd talk a little bit about A24, Lindsay, because they, they are they are a, a collective of, of people or a collective of people. It's a business, but they're changing things. Yeah, and they've only been going. We just we just looked them up because, um, you know, sometimes you look at the end of a film and it's like, oh, that's A24. Oh, Wait yeah. a minute, that's A24. Yeah, exactly. So we just looked them up just before uh, today. So set up in 2012, which is only oh, 11, 11 years, ago. years ago. This is August 23, we're recording this. 11 yeah. years ago, and it's incredible what they've done. So their first 
kind of big. Uh, they, they started off as a distribution company, but have since become distribution and production company, yeah. i.e. they don't just dis- distribute films, they make their own films under their own imprint. Yeah. Um, their big growth started in 2013 with the release of uh, Spring Breakers, which actually turned out to be a big hit. Um, they've also, uh, they picked up the rights to Ex Machina and Room um, and some of the guys that they've worked with, guys and women that they've worked with, uh, Darren Aronofsky, Ari Aster, Sean Baker. Actually, some of these mm. uh, directors and films you will hear more about because they're in our lists. Yeah. Robert Eggers, you've, you've mentioned, Alex Garland, Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, the Safdie brothers, Joanna Hogg. So they're, yeah, they're, that's quite a list, isn't it? They're, they're a major influence. Uh, I mean, a major player, really, yeah. these days in terms of what they put out. Um, mostly known originally, I think, for kind of contemporary horror, yeah. very art house uh, kind of films as well. Um, and just some of the films they've, they've involved in. So their they're highest grossing films, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was like a big hit in 2022. And the last best film Oscar winner. And, and I don't un- really understand why. I felt no. it was wildly overrated, yeah, but we, good for we agree on that. Good for good for A twenty four. But they have done things that that uh, we have liked uh, se- severally and together. So Midsummer, which we've done elsewhere yeah. here, Moonlight, another Oscar winner. Talk to me, very recent uh, horror film, which yeah. is getting good buzz. Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's yeah. film. Yeah. I mean, slightly overrated, like maybe everything maybe, she does. Maybe, but you know, look what it, it was the beginning of. For yes, her. absolutely. Un- uncut gems, obviously, uh, things like that. So they've done a whole range of things. I can just see that looking at their top ten um, highest grocers, everything, everywhere, all at once is number ten. Is number one. Number ten was the whale, which I don't know if yeah. you saw that with. Um, no, I I haven't seen it, and I because it's Aronofsky, I kind of gone back to it again and thought you've got to watch this you've got to watch this because you told me at the time the reason because Lindsay's very influential on my thinking I'm not (laughs) even going to pretend but Lindsay had gone along to the cinema to see it and said I don't like you know it's Brendan Fraser's performance and nothing else yeah and I kind of went oh yeah but a few people have then been speaking to me about yeah, but Brendan Fraser's performance is unbelievable. You need to see and that it. Is, that is that like, is okay. true, and he plays you know morbidly obese guy. And is it a spoiler? I mean, I don't want to spoil it. But anyway, whatever happens <laughs> to him, I won't spoil it. We did say no spoilers. I won't yeah. spoil it. But whatever happens to him, a friend of mine who'd, who'd gone to see it, I said, "Did you like it?" She said, "I could not wait for whatever happens to him." To happen to him. Oh, <laughs> yes. Ouch. Harsh. <laughs> yeah, that is harsh. Blimey. All right, then. No, I'm, I'm doubly intrigued now. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yes, back to, to our list. Uh, back to our list. So, uh, shall I go on to my number yes. six? Yes. What's your number six, Lindsay? My number six is a Danish film from 2020 by Thomas Vinterberg, Another Round. Ah. So, it yes. stars Mads Mikkelsen as a teacher, and he mm-hmm. and three of his fellow teachers are at a secondary school. They're all slightly disaffected. One of them has the notion, has read an article somewhere, whatever this article was, <laughs> that your body lacks alcohol. And uh, this is why they're tired. This is why they're lethargic. Of course, they're four middle-aged men yeah, who are teachers. Yeah. This is why they're, they're tired. tired. This is why they're lethargic. And th- this article suggests just keeping topping up your alcohol in small doses all day long to make yourself at the peak of your um, fitness. Mm. They start to do this and it works brilliantly. 
until, until it, it really does not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I really enjoyed that it's, film. It's, it's a great film. Mads Mikkelsen, I think, is a fantastic in it. And at the end, he does this dance in front of uh, like his, his class of kids. So it's like their graduation. Um, and he does this dance on the on the, the docks of like a harbour, which is just incredible. And it's a real, it's, it's a film really with a lot of heart and a lot of poignancy, but it's really, really funny. I, I, that, that's interesting. Really interesting because I'm yeah I've seen it. Uh, I absolutely loved it until it got to to that bit. And, you didn't like that bit. Uh, I I it 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 annoyed me intensely. And I I I. I, I but we're not going to do spoilers. No. So not going to talk any more about that. Okay. Uh, another round though. It's a quality performances by. Uh, all round and Thomas Vinterberg, you know, it's been a long time now that he's been a really, yeah, really, yeah. really good director. Yeah. So a Danish one for number six for me. Who, who's your number five? Number five is Mandy, oh. a 2018 <laughs> action horror film uh, directed by Panos Kosmatos. Um, and uh, it stars Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Um, also, um, Andrea Riseborough and Linus Roach and Bill Duke. And, and strangely, uh, amongst uh, its producers, in fact, I think the producer is Elijah Wood uh, of uh, really? Lord of the Rings. Mm. And uh, uh, so Mandy is um, set in 1983 in the Shadow Mountains. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays a lumberjack whose uh, writer wife is murdered by an incredibly strange biker cult who appear to have been driven satanic by an especially bad batch of LSD and are led by a Manson-esque narcissist called Sand. Cage does what a man has to do in a landscape that has become a drug-fueled heavy metal nightmare. Uh, it's, it's just... It's a horror movie on one level. On another level, it is drug-fueled madness and <laughs> one of the best... One of the most beautifully visually realised psychedelic films uh, I've mm, seen for a mm. long, long time. Linus Roach plays a bad guy and is a revelation. I've, I've never thought much about him as an actor, and he's just unbelievable in this. Um, and at its heart is this really beautiful marriage, and which is, and it's just that great bit of filmmaking which you know establishes something really, really quickly, so that by the time something bad happens, you actually really care about everyone. And um, and Nicolas Cage is his manic best. I you know. I, I admit I I am a huge Nicolas Cage fan. Uh, I don't know why, but I've had a sort of uh, late, maybe it's a midlife crisis, a late life crisis <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of my favourite at the moment. Um, there's something about his over the topness that just fills me with joy, and um, he he yeah he's he's just bloody marvelous yeah it? yeah and I, I i i have seen this one uh too and i really really enjoyed it and it, it did i don't know what kicked off your uh your late late life i can explain cage-ness. it actually yeah go on then it was a it was a series of things it started on this podcast so we were doing midsummer versus wicker man oh that's right yeah that's right oh my god and right. we started you know and we mentioned the remake and i had forgotten it's almost like i'd had this pl- this block, it was so bad that I decided to block it out. For because, self-protection. Yeah, because I said, you you know, you said to me, oh, have you seen it? And I was kind of like, no, 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 I haven't seen it. And then it was like, 
yeah, I have. <laughs> and, and then, you know, we were talking about how awful it was. And um, then I was watching a lot of stuff about film on YouTube, and I started to realise that one particular scene from The Wicker Man turns up on every list of top 10 worst acting performances, top 10 worst scenes, top 10 biggest overacting ever, mm-hmm. top 10 stupidest ideas ever. You know, if, there's, <laughs> if there's a negative list, it, it, this scene is on it. And it's one where Nicolas Cage is has been caught by the, you know, the cult people. And they put, they put bees, they put him, he's phobic about bees. That's the thing. Uh, and then they put a thing uh, on his head uh, and he's trapped with bees and he's just sitting on, kneeling on the floor screaming, the bees, no, not the bees. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And the more I watched him do this, the more I thought, that's almost heroic though in yeah, its terribleness. Yeah, yeah. Heroic in its terribleness. I can't get it out of my mind. So I started to, I, then I bought Bad Lieutenant. I hadn't seen it since it came yeah. out. And I thought, this is brilliant. His version of his Bad version, Lieutenant, yeah, not yeah. the Harvey Keitel yeah. original, which is also brilliant. Yeah. But his, you know, the Port of New Orleans one, Werner Herzog. And it's just, oh my God, this is brilliant. I love how over the top he is in this. And then um, I watched Vampire's Kiss, which I'd never seen before in my life. And I just think it's one of the funniest, most brilliant, ridiculous acting performances of all time. And I suddenly realised... I'm really enjoying absolutely everything he does. Yeah. And I start to go back to things like Con Air and Face Off. And I was just getting this enormous joy from just watching yeah. him. And I suddenly realised, you know what? You love Nick Cage. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah. And and that one with um, Pedro Pascal, the en- yeah, enormous yeah. weight of oh, massive talent, the, is it? Yeah, the unbearable weight of massive that's talent. That's it, that's it. That's Very it. That, is, that is so great. That is so great. And that I remember that had happened when I'd been saying to you, Watch Paddington 2. Watch Paddington yeah. 2. It's great. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> all right, just... Lindsay. All right, I'll watch Paddington 2. Ha, ha, ha. And then, you know. We watched Paddington 2. And it was amazing. And it's brilliant. And then there's a tribute scene to Paddington 2. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, ah, this is the, the, the universe sometimes aligns. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's aligning to tell me that Nicolas Cage is my favourite actor yeah. at the moment for, I don't know, reasons both genuine and ironic i think and mandy is an excellent example it really is so what is your number five my number five is kind of the opposite of mandy (laughs) (laughs) uh it's a french film from 2021 by celine sciamma uh called petite maman ah i have not seen it following the death of her maternal grandmother eight-year-old nelly and her mum are clearing out the grandmother's house nelly leaves the house and meets a girl the same age this is not a spoiler to say After a while, it becomes clear that this new girl, Marion, is actually Nellie's mother as a child, which Nellie knows, but Marion doesn't. Um, So it's, it's, how it's weird is it's very much kind of time travel portal. Unlike other kind of time travel films, there's nothing Nellie needs to go back and solve or change Mm, or prevent. mm. It's just, she happens to find a way back in time. She meets her mother as a child. They become friends. Ah. But it's it's a way for Nellie's mother, Marion, as an adult, how she is getting over the grief of her mother. Right. So at this, when Nellie goes back to meet young Marion, Nellie knows that Marion's mother dies, when she dies, how she dies, right, what's okay. going to happen. And the great thing about it, I think, is there's no explanation. There's no uh, man in a suit that you would often get in the 50s 
films to come and say, and this is this is why it happened and it would never happen again, or you know, this is the psychological explanation, or she went mad later on. None of that. It's just this happens, she goes back, she's friends with her mother, and you have no idea whether the mother is an adult has any knowledge of this. Yeah, it's just yeah. a really sweet little film and it's carried excellently by these two young actresses, both, I guess, aged about nine or ten. Um, they have to carry the whole film pr- pretty much and it's just a lovely little thing about friendship and grief and loss. I will look it out. Petit Maman. Okay. Petit Maman. All right. And it's um, just to say, Celine Sciamma, who did it, also did a Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Ah, so, same director. Same director. Okay. All right, quality, quality. Okay, um, shall I do me number four? Yes, please. All right then. Uh, my number four is Saint Maud, oh. uh, 2019 British psychological horror film, uh, directed by Rose Glass and written by her, and uh, it's her, uh, her feature debut. Um, and it stars uh, Morfid Clark uh, as a, re- a religious private carer uh, who becomes dangerously fixated with saving the soul of her patient Jennifer Earl. Um, Basically, it's an uh, it's a horror film. Um, as you may have noticed, uh, listeners, I'm kind of a bit obsessed. <laughs> He's horrifying. I mean, he yeah. likes horror films. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm definitely um, horror adjacent. I think the phrase is. And um, uh, yeah, so uh, there's a bit of a horror domination in my list. Um, and Saint Maud is the perfect example of an A24 film uh, yet again, which takes a very powerful human emotion, in this case, guilt, and then finds a way to do horror with it Mm. and mixes horror tropes with actually, uh, you know, a deep exploration of guilt. It's also, um, there is a bit of a theme uh, in uh, the the films, and I only realised when I sort of put my list of my favourites together, of religion. Uh, Films that look at various aspects of organised religion. Um... And as I, we're, we're not doing spoilers, um, th- this has one of my favourite endings of a film it's of the an, last ten it's years. It's an amazing ending, amazing ending. Yeah, um, and just so just to say that there are kind of juxtapositions between what is likely to be happening in real life and what is likely to be uh, seen or experienced by modern, and, and it's uh, it really is. Um, an incredible film and it's hard to say too much without giving away spoilers but i think it's it's lean as well isn't it it's a nice yeah, short film yeah it's short it's tall it, it there's none of this oh let's do this at two and a half hours mm. kind of thing it, it's it's a 90 minute idea done 90 minute yeah. way um not an ounce of flab two incredible uh lead performances yeah. by the two the two lead actresses mm. um oh, it's just i can't speak too early yeah. of it yeah no oh. it's wonderful what's your number four my number four is an animation, maybe the first animation Ooh, we've done on the podcast, I think. Yeah. And it's a French film from 2019 by Jérémy Clapin, and it's called I Lost My Body. Okay. And it's the animated adventures of a disembodied hand trying to find his body uh, across the other side of Paris. Uh, you picked this fun- film up to me before, and I'm only just remembering that now. It's It's so funny. Is it funny? Is it? It's got its funny parts, but actually, it's mostly poignant. It's adventurous. This hand is brave. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of it is done from the point of view of the hand, and you can't help but be reminded of the Adams family thing. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, the thing that they had in the recent Netflix series Wednesday, which is about Wednesday Adams, was mm. really excellent, and and again a real character. And but they do that. That's a real hand green screened right um, okay. you know so the person's wearing green and you can only see the real hand it's not it's not cgi outside of that uh this one is is a cartoon and nonetheless 
animation. We don't say cartoon anymore, do we? We say animations when it's adult films. Um, this is an animation, and but nonetheless, the the character that this hand evinces, and as I say, it's it's brave. The hand can see and can think. Right. Uh, it gets into a fight with some rats in the subway. Genuinely scary. Wow. Genuinely okay. scary. And all the time, it's trying to cross Paris to reunite uh, with Nafel, who's uh, the guy who's lost his hand. And it's it's kind of, we see it from the hand's point of view. We also see a flashback from the hand's point of view about Nafel as a child, about oh. Nafel as a young man. And we catch up with the real Nafel story at the end. The, the, oh, those, that, that flashback and the hand's journey kind of come together. Uh, it's amazing it's you'll cry it is just wonderful the first time I watched it I did it in French with the subtitles the second time I watched the English uh, Ah, dubbed version version, yeah and it's Dev Patel who's the the voice of Nofel the Ah. hand doesn't talk the hand doesn't have a voice it's just really great and I heartily heartily hand on heart (laughs) recommend it So my number three, uh, excuse me while I cough, <coughs> my number three is Raw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we're still not veering away from horror, as you may have noticed. Uh, this is a 2016 um, uh, horror drama uh, based around the idea of a teenage girl um, who goes to veterinary school where her sister is already one of the students and where there, she's a vegetarian and where, um, there is a hazing ritual uh, which everyone has to go through where they have to eat some meat. Uh, she goes through with this despite her disgust and very much with her sister almost kind of bullying her into it. And um, the end result is a craving for the one <laughs> kind of meat you probably shouldn't be craving. <laughs> Uh, you may well have heard of this even if you haven't seen it because it was controversial. It's one of those films where, and I sometimes think these stories are very apocryphal because they always seem to be at a film festival. Mm. Uh, at a film festival, people were fainting slash throwing up slash had to be rushed to hospital slash rioting, uh, you know, in the seats or something. And it's kind of like, yeah, where's all the film footage of people doing that? Yeah. I'm not sure I really believe Pixar, it didn't this. happen. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Uh, it, what a great way to, to advertise a film. But, head, but nevertheless, uh, some of the, you know, if you are somebody who is uh, radically vegetarian and vegan, uh, don't go and see this film. <laughs> uh, if you're not... Uh, and you have a strong stomach, do. But actually, more than anything, this film is about, I think, is about public school and university and the, the weird rituals of the upper middle, of the middle classes. And it's about sisters. Yeah. And uh, the very, very powerful relationships between sisters that can be very positive or very negative. And... Um, it's um the the director is Julia de now who um I'll be mentioning again later and I, I she, it's just a fantastic oh, yeah it's just it a is, fantastic it film. is great isn't it and you wonder 
Um, one, I wonder how much it's been influenced by something like Ginger Snaps, yeah. which I know yep. you, you love. Great movie. But also how much it influenced, in turn, uh, a TV show I've just watched called Yellow Jackets, ah. which again is very much about the hunger that dare not um, speak its name <laughs> amongst young young girls who are a soccer team yep. and their plane has crashed somewhere in the Pacific Northwest oh. and they are stranded. Um, which I, I liked it. It stars our favourite Melanie Linsky, Heart and Melanie. Adore, and she's finally got a starring role and an Emmy nomination for Yay. it. Ah. And the one, thing, the one thing that didn't um, ring true to me is was not the hunger that did not na- name its name, but that this was a soccer team and that the first thing they didn't do was actually make a football out of something and have a game, <laughs> because surely that's what footballers would do. <laughs> Number three, my number three. Your number three. My number three is a Swedish film from 2018 by Ali Abassi and it's called Border. Oh. And it features immense performances, particularly from Eva Melander, who plays the lead uh, in in the film Tina, um, ably assisted by a very eerie uh, performance from Iro, Iro Milonov. Right. Who's, the, who's the guy in it? So Tina, explain this one, Lindsay. Explain Tina, is, well, I don't want to spoil it, but I'll tell you. <laughs> Tina is a border guard at a Swedish ferry port and has amazing abilities to detect contraband, not just booze and drugs, but can she she can somehow detect that someone is a paedophile just by intuition. So she's got some special special powers. Mm. She's not like other people, except a man called Vor, who's equally odd looking because Tina has a Tina mm. has a way around her. Tina's got a Big old face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, you know, like the song, Tina's got a big old butt. I do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got the reference. Hello, okay. Cool J. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she's not like other people, except a man called Vore, who is equally odd looking and with whom she has an instant sexual and communication connection. But who are they and why are they so different? Well, we find that out, but only after we've seen, I think, one of, we love our hyperbole here. Gary especially loves the, that's the biggest thing ever. That's the weirdest thing ever. That's the most incredible thing I ever. I do do that. This, I guarantee, is the oddest sex scene that you will ever see. That more, than in te- more than the sex scene in Team America World Police? I think so. There you go. I actually think that's so. That's the benchmark. I actually think so. It's at once incredibly earthy, surprisingly gross, and actually quite hot. <laughs> There's also um, <laughs> later on uh, a very weird baby. Um, I, I don't know. Would you? You've seen this one, haven't you? Guys? I have. Yeah. I have. Would you call it a horror film? Ah, uh, that's a brilliant question. You know what? I'm going to say no. Mm. Um, uh, uh, it's uh, and again, I'm trying to stick to your. We're not going to spoil yeah, this yeah. thing. Um, there is a. A creatureish element to this, but I don't think I think it's a drama. Yeah, um, and I think it's a drama about difference and connection, and um, I don't think it's a horror film. Not in the final analysis. I think I think you're right. I think it's got some horrific images, mm. um, but I think it's about loneliness. It's about identity. It's be- about belonging. It's about finding that person, whether you can trust them in the end or not. It's about yeah. finding that person that shares something. Yes. Shares something with you. Um, but I really, really recommend it. But beware, you do need to have, I would say, 
quite a strong stomach for the sex scene. <laughs> I think so, something that most of these films have in common is you may have to have quite a strong stomach for. <laughs> What's your number two film? My number two film is Mother. Oh. Uh, by Darren Aronofsky. Um, it's uh, uh, 2017. Um, I guess you could call it a psychological horror film. Um, it stars Jennifer Lawrence very famously and magnificently, and also Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, it was a very, very controversial film uh, because essentially what it is is a biblical allegory. Um, the characters are not called names. Um, uh, Jennifer uh, Lawrence's character is called Mother. Um, uh, Javier Bardem's uh, character is called Him and is the only character with a capital letter. And after a while, you start to realise, oh, yeah, I think these two visitors who've turned up to this house and are ruining this woman's life are Adam and Eve. Yeah. Oh, their kids have turned up and they're having a fight. Oh, they might be Cain and Abel. And on and on it goes. Um, it's... Interesting because I've seen the film three times now and I absolutely love it. There are so many, it really splits opinion. Other people absolutely despise it and think it's a pretentious pile of garbage. I, he's basically, Aronofsky is basically very, very passionate about all things environmental. And this is his angry film about that. And I for me, the last act of this film, it's not just it's some of the most brilliant filmmaking I, I've ever seen. I know Darinovsky would probably hate me, but I think it's really funny. And <laughs> and I don't mean in a, I'm laughing at the, the pretentiousness. I, I mean it feels to me like it's supposed to be. Um as 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 <laughs> as this house degenerates into a literal war zone. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think there is a genius in every frame. Uh, I think Jennifer Lawrence's performance is one of the most selfless, gruelling and brilliantly done things of the last 10 years. And um, and Darren Aronofsky, you know, there are things that he does that I, I really dislike. You know, The Fountain uh, I tried to watch recently. I couldn't even finish it. It was so boring. Um, but when he gets it right, um, you know, this Requiem for a Dream um, the black swan. I, I think he's unmatchable. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I have seen this film. I've seen it twice. I saw it once in the pictures. I think we might have seen it together. I think in the we cinema. did. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it wasn't unannoying, <laughs> uh, but I did think it was interesting. And you know, poor um, Jennifer Lawrence. The camera is either a foot in front of in her. her. Face. Or a foot behind her, the whole film, and apparently it was quite a grueling shoot. And you know they were, they were they were dating at the time, were they? Yeah, I did so, not know yeah. that. There you go. Yeah, so this was his. I don't know. Um, this is his homage way of to, homage. Uh, yeah, but was she his muse? Is no. that what you're telling me? No, I don't. I, I think it was like <laughs> stop answering me back because this is going to be really <laughs> tricky for you. Um, I saw it a second time, and and that time was on the TV, and it is a big. I think it is a big screen kind of film. Really. Yeah. And seeing it on the TV, it annoyed me even more. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I found it equally kind of at once mysterious. What does it all mean? Mm. At, at the same time as, wow, this metaphor is really incredibly overt and obvious and stop hitting me on the on head. On the nose, it. as they like to say yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think in the end, annoying. 
Okay. And 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 you know what? You are not alone in this yeah. world. There are Aronof- Aronofsky fans who hate it. Um, I, 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 yeah. Anything that annoys people as much as yeah, um, yeah. And particularly I'm with you on that. particularly yeah. devout Christians has got to be doing something right. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. All right then. <laughs> well, my number two film is the opposite of Mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Father. <laughs> it's called uh, The Florida Project. Ah, and it I do is not know it. from 2017 by a director called Sean Baker, who has also worked with A24. Mm-hmm. This this film wasn't, I think, but his, his one after that was uh, uh, distributed through A24. Ah. The Florida Project, I debated about it because mm. I was kind of like, is it weird or is it just an indie film? But right. I was so keen to talk about it that I've decided to call it weird. Right, okay. So uh, it stars uh, Willem Dafoe. I'm saying villain because I saw you saw that, you heard that, you said you said that earlier. And I thought, oh, that's sophisticated. <laughs> so it stars Willem, Willem Dafoe as Bobby. Um, and an absolutely incredible performance by, I think, a six or seven-year-old girl who's called Brooklyn Prince. And her character name is Mooney. So just a bit of background about the title, The Florida Project. Yeah. That was what Disney uh, called Disneyland before Disney was built. Ah. So it was this idea of this is what's going to happen in Florida. Okay. This film is set in the, set in the present day mm. and it actually takes uh, place close by uh, Disneyland and it refers to the main location of the film, which is a rundown tourist motel, mm. which is called The Magic Castle. Right. And so this film, uh, this motel is now home to poor families it's a housing oh. project so this is the florida project for the projects right okay uh, Willem defoe is the kind but put upon manager of the place um but the story follows six-year-old mooney and her adventures in her life with her mother Haley. Haley's barely more than a teen herself does not have her have her life together so here disneyland isn't a place of escape and magic it's where Mooney and Haley scam tourists. They sell right. fake perfume. They steal things from them. So this six-year-old is already quite well versed in how hard life is and how hard life is life is going to be. Okay. In what way is it weird? It's a very. It, apparently, Sean Baker was very influenced by Italian neo neo realism, so it's right. filled in, okay. filmed in a very realistic manner. I guess one of the weird things is that you wouldn't ne- normally expect to see a star like Willem Dafoe yeah. in a in a film like this, but he really does kind of bring the heart. Um, it's very much a he's he's not the star; he yeah. is the supporting actor yeah. to this to this six year old girl, however wow. old the actress was. Um, wow. And at the end, there's this kind of magical realist scene where Mooney is trying to escape from various authorities. Her mother's been deemed, well, spoiler, she's trying to escape from various authorities. Yeah. And for the first time, her and her little friend have gone to Disneyland, not as scammers, but as kids. Oh, right, and there's this okay. kind of magical realist thing where she kind of realises how other people experience this place that for her has, has not... Okay, that sounds heartbreaking. ...has not been that. It really is. <laughs> it really is heartbreaking. <laughs> and I really recommend that... that you see it. Okay. I think it's, it's an amazing, yeah, right. it's amazing you film. You sold me. Um, and Sean Baker also did a film called Red Rocket, which I think is slightly weirder. But I think that's 22, 21, 22. It's more recent than that. And that's about, that is that is good. I, I also recommend mm. that. If you only have time in the rest of your life to see one of them, see The Florida Project. <laughs> if you've got time to see both, see both. Okay. Uh, Red Rocket was distributed through A24 and it concerns a kind of out of work, broken down, ex porn star 
who comes back to this. It's another kind of working class landscape that has nothing in it apart Mm. from a a donut shop. And there he meets this young girl who he wants to groom for a porn career. That one is weirder because it's like, you don't know what's real in that one. And what's okay. not real in that? Okay. But they're both excellent, excellent films. And his first film was called Tangerine, which I haven't seen, but everybody rates that one as well. Um, that at least, yes, the name's familiar. Mm. Okay. All right. Sean Baker. I need to, I, those three films, I need to watch them. Yeah. So we've decided we were going to do some honourable mentions mm. before we did our number ones. Yes. Now, this is a hideous thing because there's just too many. How many and have you got? You better run through them fast then. I'm going to run through them fast uh, because much though I want to sort of say something about them, we can't. I've only so. got four. How many have you got? <laughs> um, I've lost count. Just just start reading them out then. All right then. So <clears throat> I've grouped them because there are some themes that are coming up. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, theme one is cannibal dramas. Bone Tomahawk from 2015, S. Craig Zahler, uh, starring Kurt Russell. This is a cannibal very western. Good. That is very good. Fresh, 2022, uh, directed by Mimi Cave, uh, Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan. Uh, this is a cannibal horror romance. Yes, no, really. Uh, <laughs> Bones and All, two, 2022, uh, Luca Guadalupe. Dagnino, I hope I've got his name right, uh, starring Taylor Russell, Timothy, Timothy Chalamet and Mark Rylance, just being astonishing, uh, cannibal romance. Um, the next grouping is a birth horror. <laughs> so also directed by Julie DeCornau, who we've mentioned already, uh, Titane, 2021, starring Agatha Roussel, uh, Hatching, uh, 2022, uh, a, um, that directed by Hannah Bergholm, uh, and that is Slurry, uh, Solalina, who is the star of that. I think that's right. And Lamb, 2021. Vladimir Johansson, uh, that's an Icelandic film starring Numi Rapace, uh, or Rapace. Um, and uh, that one, I just have to mention, um, a couple adopt a half-boy, half-sheep. <laughs> Sounds bad. <laughs> I can't believe... Why can't you believe? You know me 30 years. I bring it to you every ball. (laughs) It's a a strangely beautiful film. Um, uh, Horror sci-fi, sort of another list. Um, The Stylist, 2020, uh, Jill Gavargizian. Najara Townsend is the star of that. A really, really amazing, weird female-led horror movie. Um, Enemy, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, 2013. Um, it's a doppelganger film, uh, but there are giant spiders. Nobody can work it out. It's brilliant. Uh, Annihilation, um, Alex Garland, uh, starring Natalie Portman, 2018. Uh, sci-fi, multi-dimensional, time-slip, creature, feature. It's just brilliant. Uh, the Lighthouse, we've already talked about. Uh, Robert Eggers, um, it, we've already talked about Willem Dafoe. Uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, that is another A24 film. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, A24 film again. 2017, Yorgos Lanthimos, I think he's already got a mention. And uh, is it Barry Keegan? Is that how you pronounce yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Colin Farrell are absolutely unbelievable in this film. Uh, the remake of Suspiria, this is again Luca Guadagnino. Guad- 
Agnino. Uh, that is so much not how to pronounce his name. Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, uh, Mia Goth, who is uh, kind of like the poster girl for horror at the moment. Um, a remake of uh, the very famous uh, Italian Giallo, which I guess is controversial, but I think it's better than the original. Oh, horror ooh. fans will stalk me in the street, but I'm afraid I do. Um, and a very odd found footage film uh, called Be My Cat, a film for Anne, uh, starring and directed by Adrian Tofai from 2015. Uh, that film is terrifying. Um, and there are three non-horror films that I would like to mention quickly, Triangle of Sadness, uh, Ruben Osland uh, from 2022, um, E.O., uh, Jerzy Skolimowski, 2022. That may well be the last film he ever makes. He, he's he's a, a, an extraordinary director who has been directing films for over 50 years. And that is a remake kind of of O Hazard Balthazar, Robert Bresson's mm-hmm. uh, film about the life of a donkey and I think it's even better than the Bresson film and it's just unbelievable and um, Locke is the last one I want to mention uh, this is Tom Hardy um, and it is a film shot entirely in a car uh, and where he is one man one man talking into a mobile phone and that's it and he is it is it is, in, it is incredible um, so there's lots of those there I haven't seen. You mentioned that we had already mentioned Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm. We didn't because I wanted to include Dogtooth, but oh, it was yeah. out of the 10-year period. Oh. I wasn't allowed to have it because it's from 2009. But dog- I'm sorry. Dogtooth. <laughs> in case anyone's interested in films from slightly before 2013, <laughs> Dogtooth is a Greek drama by Yorgos Lanthimos and it was before his... Um, the Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Favourite. It was one of his early ones. And uh, it's great. Um, it is. My honourable mentions, I've only got four, and only three of them I think are weird. Um, <laughs> one is... <laughs> okay. One is The Falling uh, by Carol Morley from 2014. I watched Ooh. this relatively recently. Uh, it's a kind of um, hysterical fainting at a girls' school film. Let down, I think, slightly, I think, by the main uh, actress, who's Maisie Williams. However, it is the debut of our darling, Florence Pugh, and ah. she is amazeballs in it. She's wonderful. Okay, all right. Uh, my second film is Eighth Grade uh, by Bo mm. Burnham, stars Elsie Fisher as Kayla, a really amazing performance from this uh, very young actress at the time. Um, that was made in 2018. And it's just the trials and tribulations of a 13-year-old girl and what she goes through. And there's an incredible scene at a kind of pool party where all the girls around her with their kind of skinny 13-year-old bodies, their Kardashian-influenced makeup and their long hair, and they're wearing little bikinis. And she's got this little prepubescent chubby tummy body wearing a one-piece suit. And she's so out of it. And it's a heartbreaking film, I think. Okay. A24 as well, I think. I think it is, yeah. You've seen that one, haven't you, Eighth Grade? I have not seen Eighth Grade. It's not? on a watch list. I need to see it. Okay. My third um, honourable mention is a film I know you don't like, which is <laughs> Meek's Cut Off by Kelly Reichardt from 20... 20- uh, yeah. Oh, it's 2010 as well. Well, forget it. It's, it's, out with the... <laughs> <laughs> it's out with the... It's not allowed. Well, you've done Dogtooth now, so I think you should carry on with Meek's right. Cut-Off. Meek's Cut-Off is uh, what's called... It's part of the slow mm-hmm. film movement. Nothing happens and it <laughs> takes two and a half hours. And it's a revisionist Western. And I do particularly like it. And I said to Gary, must watch, you must watch, you must watch. And he could barely get through it because he was so bored by it. So there you it's go. That's true. That's true. Now, my last... 
recommendation. Oh, okay. Is uh, your number one? No, not my number oh. one. My last oh. honourable mention. Okay. My last honourable mention, I don't think it's weird at all. I don't know enough to know how weird it is. But it is, if you have not seen it, you must. RRR. Oh. An Indian epic by S.S. Rajamuli from 2022. It's a thrill a minute. It's about uh, an outlaw and a policeman and their friendship. There's CGI tigers. There's amazing stunts. There's horses. There's dance sequences. There's dancing. There's amazing battles. I really don't know enough about Indian film. Yeah, that's know. what we decided, didn't wasn't yeah. it? That we, we we were both talking about doing this sort of podcast and we were saying, you know what, we're not expert enough about yeah. Indian cinema to know where this is weird in the context of Indian yeah. cinema. Uh, it's weird in the context of Western action movies. Yeah. But um, what a film. It's three hours and ten minutes and you will not regret a single minute of it. If you haven't seen it, I think it's still on Netflix. I saw I saw it on Netflix. I would love to have seen it at the IMAX or something. Yeah. If it had a cinematic oh. release, if it did, I missed it. I would love to see it again. It was so weird at the beginning of the year that it got it got flagged up mm. that there's going to be a cinematic release for Triple R, and I, I yeah. never saw it anywhere. So, but yeah, I'd love to watch it on IMAX. Me too. Yeah. So those are my honourable mentions. Only four and really only two because one was out of date and one isn't weird. Um, but average with Gary's 40 and my two, an average of 20. <laughs> Gary, what is your What's my number, number one? one? Okay. So my number one is the only one of my six that is not a horror movie. The Banshees of Inner Sheeran, uh, 2022. Um, a, a black tragedy comedy. Um a uh, film directed and, and written and co-produced by Martin Madonna, uh, set um, in a remote and fictional island off the west coast of Ireland, um, starring um, Brendan Gleeson and uh, Colin Farrell and uh, with a really amazing um, support from Barry Keegan and uh, Kerry Condon and a donkey. I think. Uh, no, no. Is it, or yeah. is it a pony? That's a donkey. It's a little donkey called Jenny. Yeah, it is. Um, I was stunned by this film, and I guess what what how I'm justifying it is weird is because, and I'm I'm not going to do a spoiler. It it's this is a film about two people who have been friends um, for for their whole life uh, or most of their lives, and one decides he does not want to be the other person's friend anymore and but the way he comes in the way he decides to cut this person off and to convince him to leave him alone is what is the weird mm. um and um i think the film um I, I haven't done a lot of reading up about it but i think the film is an enormous metaphor for um the troubles in ireland um and the irrational nature of enmity um, and the irrational things people will do about it. And um, it's incredibly funny. Um, those, those three as a team, mm. Madonna, Gleason, and Farrell, because in Bruges, I wouldn't have thought you could put those three in a, you know, together in another film and they'd yeah. come up with something even better. And I think they came up with something even better mm. between the three of them. I couldn't believe it when it got Oscar buzz and was a proper commercial hit, and I just thought, "Oh, there is there is hope for the world." Because I thought it would, <laughs> it's it's just it's just a very strange and beautiful film 
very unglamorous on every level. Um, and it's all about character and dialogue and story and and an underlying point uh, that is, is deeply tragic. And um, it's brilliant. Yeah, I did. I did like it a lot. I kind of wonder what it would be without those particular three performances, actually. Well, yeah. But yeah. then, but luckily, the film has them, so we yeah, don't need absolutely. to. We don't need to have any conjecture about that. I, I do. I do think it's 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 a great film. It's got great sense of time and place, mm. and and the unreality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I do not buy that it's a realistic no, it's depiction not. of of how a friendship might end at all. But it doesn't matter because it it it, it kind of places itself in its own world. And yes. yeah, like you, I I, I think it's great. Oh, what's your number one? My number one. Uh, my last choice is that rare thing, an innovative modern British film. <gasps> Whoa, blimey. Uh, so in this one, we, I, certainly in my list, I've had lots of non-American films. I've had animation. And this one is a documentary. So again, ah, for the first time, I think, uh, I I think that we've, we've done it this, uh, this podcast. Uh, it's called My Old School. Ah. It's a documentary by John O'McLeod from 2022. It's a documentary, and so there are interviews with talking heads, people who lived through it, um, people who were there at the time. It features the voice of the man whose story it is, a man who at that point was called Brandon Lee. He was happy for his words to be used. He was happy for his voice to be used. He did not want to appear Mm. visually in the film. And so instead, his words are lip-synced by Alan Cumming, Incredibly well, incredibly well. Does a brilliant job. So Alan Cumming is kind of dressed up uh, as this kind of person, and he lip syncs uh, the story. And the story is, in 1993, again, no spoilers. You really need to watch this film. But in 1993, Brandon Lee enrolls at Bearsden Secondary School in Glasgow. Right from the start, there's something odd about him, and the other the other students, the other pupils, kind of realise there's something odd about him, but don't know what it is. And Brandon's story um, mixes, as I say, actual testimony, Brandon's actual testimony, interviews with former pupils and animation to depict the old yeah. days at school. It's a jaw-dropping true story. You yeah, kind of, it really you, is. You, you, you can't believe that this happened, but it did happen. There's surprise after surprise after surprise. And if you've ever seen a film noir, you'll know that narrators can't be trusted. Um, and so it proves with Brandon Lee. We see some actual pictures and some actual footage because he was, uh, when he was at the school, he was in a school play, which was filmed. And so we see some actual footage of the school play towards the end. Um, but actually, what is being lip synced is a very self-serving kind of tissue of lies. Mm. Um, and one of the surprises is that the director of this film himself has a kind of personal connection to this story, mm. which is a great kind yeah. of funny surprise when you yeah, find that yeah, out. Yeah. It's just, I don't know how I'll say it, it's a great story that you will not believe is true, and it is true, and it's funny, and it's got that kind of Scotland, particularly Glasgow humour. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I, I'm so on board with this. Um, I love that film so much that you know. I mean, it's a documentary, so I know what happens at the end. I watched that film twice. Did you? Um, and it was even better the second time. Mm. It's, and the idea that oh, it's a documentary, it's a true story. Oh, but it can't be weird. Then it is. Yeah, it is. Um, 
I think the story is weird. The story is weird, not, f- not, not the telling of it. The telling, I, I think the, the, I, format, the telling of it is unusual because, yeah, yeah. you know, with the cartoon uh, yeah. re- reconstructions and whatever and the Alan Cumming lip-syncing yeah. somebody else's words. Alan Cumming's amazing. Yeah, he is. He absolutely is. He's just wonderful. And it's a, that's, a great, that's a great choice. Okay, so there you are, listeners. You have heard our run-through of maybe 50 films from the last 10 years, (laughs) plus two from slightly before that, that we think (laughs) are worth checking out and worth seeing. Our next episode, we'll be back to uh, our normal service, which will be we will look, have a deep dive on one film in particular. But in the meantime, we hope you've enjoyed this slightly new format Go yeah. off and watch some films. Yeah, I hope, I hope you, you enjoyed that. Um, I really had fun with that. Lindsay, did you yeah. have fun with that? Yeah, I did. We, we were kind of ooh and an iron. Whether to, um, yeah. whether to do it. Whether to do it. Umming and airing. That's what I mean. <laughs> Not ooing and airing. That's the weird version. Yeah. Ooing and airing. <laughs> we're umming and airing about whether to do it. But um, yeah, I think it is... From my point of view, I think it's been nice to have that range yeah. and not just focus on one thing, to maybe show the kinds of films that we like and 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 where and, we differ and, and where we differ um so it's made me think that we really should do a nicolas cage uh, best you're, you're of just trying to, you're of... just trying to make me too happy i just you know and we can we can have slight arguments back and forth as our producer russ said we could have a cage fight <laughs> till next till next time, time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.